Hey everybody, come on in. It's time for Coffee with Scott Adams. Here's a little thing I do with my pen, because I can. Yes, I used to practice doing this, throwing my pen in the air and then catching it in a way I can still write. Watch this. Ah, impressive. If you're listening to this on audio, it's really boring. Well, hello, everybody. It's another amazing evening in one of the coolest weeks ever. Yes, we feel bad about those who are uh, suffering with coronavirus, their families and the victims. But we don't necessarily have to dwell on it, do we? Not every hour. We can pay our respects and then we can live our lives. How about that? Who's with me? Let's find a way to enjoy at least part of this weird experience we're having. So did you all catch the uh, president's press conference today? Dana Prino beat me to it on Twitter uh, while it was going on, and she said that the president's answer about Biden was really good. And I had to say, it was really good. We'll talk about that. But in general, I thought maybe one of his best press conferences. And let me tell you what he's getting right. And man, is he good at it. And you might not have noticed. Well, you probably noticed, but maybe maybe I'll add something to it. Which is this. When the president has a, a message, whether it's build the wall or, or whatever, he is the most disciplined uh, repeater of messengers of messages. He will just hammer that simple message to death. So he's really good at hammering a message home. And one of the things that he's been hammering, and maybe you haven't noticed it because he does it so well, is that no matter what the question is, what's the first thing he always answers with? You probably know the answer at home. Uh, no matter what the question is, because it's all at least roughly about the coronavirus or politics, he answers with first respecting the victims. Have you noticed that? He's been really, really disciplined about that. And I thought by now he would have departed a little bit. And, you know, of course, he gets heat whenever he talks about himself or, or gets off of the off a of message. But he was really good at every question saying, well, you know, one death is too many, people have died, and then he starts to answer the question. But did you catch how he answered the question about the accusations about Biden? I think it's the first time the president has, at least maybe in a press conference, uh, answered this question. And how does he answer it? With one of the best answers you'll ever see a president give on any question. Let me tell you what he did right. The president, going completely against type when he's asked about it, he, he starts saying that it could be a false accusation, and that false accusations are real, and that he's been the victim of false accusations. But he doesn't know what happened, and certainly she should have her moment to talk, and he should, he should, uh, you know, he should answer to it. Now, by going first, and saying it could be a false accusation. Didn't, I, didn't you just fall out of the chair? Yeah, somebody's prompting me in the comments. Thank you. And But he seamlessly went from it could be a false accusation 
it's happened to me. And if he'd stayed with that, that would have been a mistake. And when I was watching, I thought, oh, don't stay with that. Don't, don't bring the focus to things you've been blamed on, blamed for. That's the worst place to take this. But he goes through himself, says he recognizes the problem, admits that false accusations are a real thing. He doesn't, doesn't limit it to Me Too stuff. He's just saying false accusations. But then he seamlessly goes into Kavanaugh. The energy goes over to Kavanaugh, which we, at least his supporters, all agree was um, completely illegitimate. So now he's 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 basically giving Biden all the out an opponent could ever give you, because he's saying could be could be a false accusation. It's happened to me, but my God, look what happened to this poor guy, Kavanaugh. Now Kavanaugh, of course, is a much better example because people actually believe Kavanaugh was innocent, at least people on the right do. Whereas the president, you say to yourself, well, maybe you have some false accusations, but then again, maybe you have some actual just accusations. So he, he very cleverly took it through him all the way to Kavanaugh and left clean this idea that he's open to the possibility that it's a false accusation. Did you see that coming? I did not see that coming. And I'll tell you, it blew me away. Because first of all, it's a repetition of the, the pattern. The pattern is, do you see the pattern yet? The pattern is that no matter what the question is, the first thing he says is he recognizes the victim. So he recognized that you know, the woman has a story to tell. We should listen. But he also recognized that Biden is the subject of an accusation. And you know, if he were to be innocent... Yeah, I'm not giving it an opinion on that. But if he were to be, he would be a victim too. And so the president quite deftly used his pattern that has worked so well before, which is first recognize the people who are getting at the worst. Then tell your story. And man, when he keeps to that pattern, he is powerful. I mean, because that's when his, um, his charisma is highest. Because remember, charisma is... Um, power plus empathy. He always has the power, and of course he's president, so duh. But he doesn't always show the empathy. But man, when he does the empathy first and then follows with power, wow, that is really a good package. So I hope that that he's doing this consciously, which would suggest you know he's found something that works and he'll, he'll just keep doing it. Um, there were a number of other things that he did well. Oh, and let me just to finish that point. Now, the president um, can afford to be generous with Biden, partly because Biden is falling apart. You know, there's not much there to attack, but partly because the tie goes to Trump. If if Biden is accused of me tooing, and the president has his own accusations, let's say it's a tie. Because, you know, people are going to believe Biden or not, Trump or not, maybe more or not. But it's going to look like a tie. Biden can't get elected if he's only as bad as Trump because the only thing he's offering is better character. That's it. The only thing he's offering is better character. He's not really offering better judgment because I don't think anybody thinks that. He's not really offering he's smarter. I don't think anybody thinks that. 
they might think he's as smart, but nobody thinks he's smarter. So if you've got somebody who's you know done the job and performed for four years, and he's got he's got some accusations, and you see it made no difference, didn't affect his performance at all, but you don't know about the other guy, so a tie is going to go to Trump, in my opinion. Um, yeah, now there's some some more reporting that maybe Biden was not the angel that some people thought he was. Now, I am going to take some uh, questions here in a little bit, so if you have any, why don't you think of them? Um, get ready. But before that, um, I saw another video of Biden on, uh, you know, from his basement studio, and can somebody do a fact check with me? When was the last time he appeared without his wife sitting next to him? Because... Are you starting to feel what I'm feeling? That the, the having the wife there is not just to add another personality and have you know make it more interesting. I don't think it's that. Don't you get the sense that she's there for, let's say, health guardian purposes? You get that, right? Now I don't think she was on camera when Biden was getting Hillary's endorsement, but that makes sense. That really had to be a one-on-one. Well, otherwise, how often are we going to see his wife sitting next to him clearly in a protective mode? That's how you take it, right? You take it as a caretaker mode, right? You take it as protective handler, caretaker. How? I mean, how long can that go on? I mean, really? Are, are we the only ones that see that? I don't think so. I think everybody's seen it. Um, here's a... Uh, uh, interesting thing. I love it when people who I think are smart agree with me because when that happens, I say, oh, that person I think is smart just agreed with me. That might mean I'm smart, at least on this one topic. Um, although I know you, many of you vehemently disagree on this following point. I would simply like to note that it's a very smart person, even if you don't like him. You will admit he's smart, even if you don't like him. And he agrees with me. And it was Bill Gates who said today, I just saw, I think it was on CNN, that the, the testing for the coronavirus in the United States is just crap. And that it doesn't come anywhere near the right way to do it or the right degree. We're not doing it in the right priority. It's nowhere near as good as Asia. Now, if you were with me this morning... Or was it last night? Um, I, I believe I told you directly, you should just stop thinking testing is going to help you because it's a mess. Um, my, my sense of it was that the more we were unclear about the testing situation and the more competing stories we would hear, like, like yeah, they have plenty of tests. No, we don't. Well, they have everything they need. Well, that's the, the other kind of test. We've got plenty of testing, um, let's see, test facilities, but what about the kits? We've got lots of kits. They don't have any cotton. You know, I'm making some of those up. But the, the point is, you kept hearing these confusing stories about all these different kinds of kits with different places and people didn't know what to do. But then you would hear from an actual human, as I have, from somebody who got tested three weeks ago and doesn't have a result. 
Did you hear that? Someone who was tested three weeks ago and doesn't have a result at all. At all. Now, how much of that is going on around the country? In my opinion, somebody says you're wrong. Uh, you must be new here. Uh, if I had more time, I would block you for that. Uh, I block people for saying you're wrong. That's that's an automatic block if you put no reasons in. So um, I'm on the page of saying that testing is BS and we're, we just aren't doing it in a way that will get us there. So, And I'm not saying that we couldn't ever get there. I mean, eventually we could, I'm sure. But we're nowhere near it. And we're not, we're just so far from it, you could almost discount it when you're trying to figure out what's going to happen. But I do think we'll have good therapeutics. I wouldn't rule out that we have a vaccination uh, faster than we've ever had one. And I said this, I've said this on another Periscope, but it's blowing my mind. And I got to share it with you. This is just blowing my mind. Uh, so I'll just repeat it again. The top virologist guy uh, in France, Dr. Didier Raoult or something, uh, says that all, all of these viruses peak and then they peter out. And here's the mind-blowing part from the top virologist in France. We don't know why it peters out. We don't know why any virus stops being a virus. Did you know that? Did you know that the top experts in the world don't know why it goes away? No. If it were herd, if it were herd immunity, the top virologist in France probably would have mentioned it. Just guessing, right? If it were because of vaccinations plus herd immunity, the top virologist in France would have said, "Yeah, it's, it's probably some combination of those things." If it were those things plus the virus mutates, let's say, the top virologist in France would know that. He would know that it mutates. He would know what the vaccinations are doing. He would know what herd immunity does. So when he says nobody knows why these viruses stop, isn't that mind-blowing? I mean, doesn't that just blow your freaking mind? That First of all, that we're finding this out now. Because I'm not sure that Fauci's ever said that directly. I would love for somebody to ask him that question and say, do we really know why any virus peters out? Like, why doesn't it just go to, you know, if you assume the planet always has a winter somewhere and everybody's traveling everywhere, from everywhere to everywhere, if you only had 60% herd immunity so that 40% had never been exposed, there's a winter somewhere, people are traveling. How in the world does a virus ever go away? Now, somebody says viruses get weaker, and uh, but again, the top virologist in France said he doesn't know why they peter out. Now, it could be that they get weaker, and we don't know why. Maybe he meant that, but it's a big mystery. All right, the Sweden story just keeps getting more interesting. And it's not interesting because we can tell anything useful by looking at Sweden. Let me say this as clearly as I can. We can't tell anything useful by looking at Sweden. So what do we do? It's, it's basically become our national sport to make bad comparisons to Sweden that don't mean anything because there are way, 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 way too many variables 
um, to do anything. So, uh, but that doesn't seem to be stopping anybody from making these comparisons, both good and bad. The president apparently is taking the position that things are not going well in Sweden, which is interesting because that allows the president to to say that the United States is doing better than Sweden because we used a different approach. Now, I'm not so sure that I'm going to agree with the president on this, but here's what was impressive. When the president was talking about it, he he did talk about the differences in Sweden, and there was one there was one thing in particular he noted um, about their lifestyle. Uh, I forget what it was, but it was pretty insightful, and I didn't realize that he had looked into that into it that deeply. So apparently, he was very curious about Sweden because so many people were holding it up as a model, but he's decided that things are not going well there. But I ask you this: What does it mean to say that things are not going well in Sweden? Because if their hospitals are not crushed, aren't they doing better? And suppose suppose it never gets to the point where the Swedish hospitals are ever overloaded. Wouldn't we then say that they did better, even though, um, you know, even though they had more deaths per, per capita than we did? Wouldn't we say that was a victory? Because they would have kept their economy going somewhat. Oh, here's the thing that the president said. And I'd only seen this, I'd only seen one other place that somebody said this besides me, and I copied it from that person, um, which is that although in Sweden they did not have a, uh, a very rigorous lockdown, so many people were afraid of getting it in Sweden that they were sort of voluntarily not doing as much in public. So the president rightly pointed out, you're not looking at a bottle where they're, they're free to do anything versus one where they're not. That's not what you're seeing. You're seeing two models where they're not doing all the things they could do. One's just a little bit more strict than the other. So it's not it's not quite the good apple to apple that you want. <laughs> um, all right. I've decided that what I'm going to do on the locals.com platform, I told you I'm moving some of my content there. I'll still do the periscopes. You'll still see them in the same place places that you always did, but in addition, I'll have some extra stuff on the Locals uh, platform. And I put a lesson on writing humor there, so I'm going to put some very small micro lessons uh, on that platform because it's a subscription service and people will want to get a little extra. So so I'll try to do at least one, one lesson a week so that over the course of a year you would learn 52 skills you know, micro skills, things like writing humor, <clears throat> how to start a conversation, how to sleep, that sort of thing. All right. So that will be there. Um, what is Locals? Locals is a new platform. Go to locals.com in which creators, um, Dave Rubin started it and creators are moving there uh, to not be uh, guided by the algorithm. So if I put my content on um say Twitter and uh, YouTube, Twitter and YouTube get to decide what you see. So I can only grow as much as those entities want me to. But if I put it on a subscription service, nobody sees it except the ones who want to have a subscription. And, um, 
and it's all there. You don't have to you don't have to go looking for it. So all the white content will be in one place. So that's that. Um, somebody says Dave Rubin's on Fox right now. So he's got a book. I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow. I think we'll do that live. Yeah, we'll probably do that live. Talking about his new book called Don't Burn This Book. All right. I'm going to take some... Uh, so uh, I, I thought I answered this question. Somebody says, so no more periscopes. Incorrect. The periscopes will be exactly as before. Uh, when the coronavirus is done, I probably won't do an evening one. As release as often, uh, but I will do the morning ones just as always. They'll still be on YouTube. They'll still be on iTunes. You'll just have one extra place you can watch them, and then you can watch them at double speed. And yeah, there, there'll be other advantages. You can send me messages and stuff. Uh, all right, so I'm going to take some questions. Questions. Who's got a question? I think. Um, I think. Amy has a question. Amy Banta, do you have a question for me? Amy, do you have a question? If your periscoping is part of some grand master plan of pacing and then leading conservatives to some of your left of Bernie worldviews, such as universal health care and... Well, um, I... Certainly not in terms of a grand plan, which I put together to conquer the world. But in general, uh, as I've said before, people who know persuasion don't turn it off. It simply becomes the way you talk because everybody wants to persuade. So if you know how to do it well, why would you do it less well than you know how to do it? So I'm, I'm always persuading, which means that in any situation I will be pacing because that's pretty basic. And I'm always looking for a reason that I could lead, because that's why people want to get paced in the first place. They want to get a little extra. They don't want to just know what they already know. So, um, but uh, I would say it's very unlikely that I would move conservatives. Far more likely they would find out that there's something in the middle, which is, for example... There's no conservative who's opposed to everybody having health care. They just don't like the way it's proposed that it happens. I would propose that everybody has health care too, but that we could almost certainly get there through capitalist ways without you know taxing somebody to pay for somebody else's health care. You know, there's some people you're going to have to pay for. But uh, it feels to me that we could just be more clever and get there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that would be moving conservatives to left of Bernie or vice versa. Rather, it would be acknowledging that there's a solution that both could be happy. Take another example. Um, I would not be trying to, for example, uh, lead conservatives to think that climate change is what AOC and Bernie think it is, because I don't think that. But I would try to point out that both the left and the right on climate change have a solution that's the same solution, which is nuclear power. The left is a little uh, behind in understanding it. If they were up to speed about Generation 4, how safe that is and can be, they would have a different opinion. The right is a little more up-to-date because they care about nuclear, so they tend to pay attention to that stuff. So... That's not a case of moving uh, anybody anywhere except recognizing that there's an obvious solution that works for everybody. And I think that there might be a number of cases like that 
So I'm more about the solution. I would call myself a pragmatist. When I say I'm left at Bernie, it's just so I don't get put in a box. You know, it, part of the reason I say that is that nobody knows what it means. So that's part of the value of it. People go, well, I don't even know what that means. I guess I'll have to ask you. So as you did, basically, and others have, like, I don't get that. You know, who are you? That's the preferred situation so that I can be pragmatic. Maybe somebody on the left has a great idea. Maybe somebody on the right has a great idea. It wasn't long ago that was that, uh, AOC had some very good idea that was neither left nor right, and, and I tweeted it right away. So I'm not, really, I'm not really about the left or the right. I'm about pragmatism. Thanks for the question. Yeah, well, you've definitely been persuading me. So, um, were, were, I, you, were you on the left or the right? Oh, definitely on the right. <laughs> I, I was an ever-Trumper until you started Trump-splaining for me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I could be of service. <laughs> All right, thank you, Amy. All right. That was a good call. Let's have more good questions like that. I'm going to go with Mike Winbigley, who was smart enough to put the title of my book in his name. Mike Winbigley, you got a, hey, you got a question for me? Yeah. Um, further to her question, we can't afford health care. Um, we can't afford universal health care. We can't afford free college. But we seem to be able to print money whenever we need it. So I don't understand. If we can print money, why we can't afford these other things? I'm, I'm, I'm not for it or against it. I'm just saying you can be able to afford whatever we want. You, you're, you're asking a, a tremendous question. And to, yeah. and to the best of my understanding, nobody knows the answer. And this is fascinating. Because I've, so, I've been asking a version of this question. Let me, let me try to frame it a little bit for you. So uh, you know, I've got a degree in economics and an MBA, but I can't answer this question. And I don't know if anybody can. And here's, here's why it's so weird. In a normal situation, if you print money, that means you have, you've got more money in the, in the system, but there's the same amount of goods you know, in the short run. So that would cause inflation. Yes. But we're in the most special of special cases in which uh, we have all this production facility but we don't have enough demand because even if we're pumping tons of money in, there are so many consumers who got whacked, they're not going to be buying any extra. So we're, right. going to be, we're going to be entering a situation where, except for some minor things that people are trying to hoard and there might be price gouging, you're not going to see anything like inflation almost no matter how much they print well, because, because nobody, anybody who tried to raise the price just wouldn't work. Nobody would if, pay more. What if we go one step further and we say that was there inflation after two thousand eight when they printed two trillion dollars and they just printed four trillion dollars? They can print however much money they want. It's not causing it. <laughs> well, there's well, uh, two thousand eight. Mm -hmm. I think we borrowed, didn't we? Maybe you can. Uh, I need somebody to yeah, correct me. But there, there's there's a big difference between borrowing, where you absolutely have to pay it back. You know, sooner or later, you got to pay it back unless you default, and that's worse. Uh, okay. By the way, Trump answered the question about not paying China's debt yeah, really, really well, now, because he, you know, he's worked with banks and he understands it's not about the moment; 
It's yeah. about your it's about your credit worthiness. So you don't want to win the moment and lose your credit worthiness. That would be the worst play in the world. So he, he understands that. Um, Thank you. So so here's the thing. If we borrowed money, that would you know be interest payments and that would be real pain. And borrowing definitely has a limit. Uh, everything has a limit. But when you're just printing it in this one strange situation where inflation is basically impossible and that's the only risk, I have asked the question, what's the limit? Because I think, I think if you look at the stock market, the smartest people in finance just watched us print $4 trillion or whatever it was, and they, said, and they just said, looks good to us. Right. And what is it that Trump wishes that he had gotten done in this last round? He wishes that they'd thrown another trillion on it for uh, infrastructure. So is there any sense that we can, that there's a limit to how much of this money we can print? Now, in theory, there is. But do we know where that is? And, and is there any Nobel Prize or Nobel? prize winner who can answer that I don't and, think anyone can answer it. And, territory and yeah. the smartest people in finance and the, all these sweater vest republicans keep talking right. about this is going to end we got too much debt you can't do all these things and then we just do it and nothing ever happens yeah and just like climate change the republicans predictions about financial ruin never come true and the <laughs> never come true. Yeah. Well, so part of it is that we, we, over, uh, we overstate the problem in the first place. Secondly, we're, we humans are amazingly good at figuring stuff out. So even if we get into trouble, we can figure out how to weasel out of trouble if we have enough time and enough people are working on it. But I tell you, I spend a lot of time every day thinking about exactly your question which is what's the limit that you can just print under this well, special situation? And no idea. They're like, put a lid on it. Yeah. Put a lid on it, man. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, okay, take care. Uh, got chased off by the commenters. All right. How about, uh, how about Gabriel? I feel like I've talked to you before. Gabriel, Gabriel. Gabriel. Hey, Gabriel, do you have a question? Deep diving on a super current event, but you can indulge you my question or not. You can answer you just, it maybe. You just, you just have to be interesting. That is the Correct. only burden. Well, I, I, I was wondering how you and, say, your group of friends would approach helping one of your best friends who might have been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, fatal, terminal. Uh, we don't know precisely, but uh, there was some very terrible news today, which uh, does not carry a, a, a good prognosis. <clears throat> well, I don't think there's any magic bullet. I mean, right. other than uh, you know, adding your love and comfort and visiting and asking what you can do and helping out. There, there's no special formula. There's no right way to do it, but certainly showing your concern and, you know, offering to help. 
that's all you can do. I mean, unfortunately, it's an easy question to answer because there's no good good answer yeah. to that. But um, are you are you worried um, how the the person with cancer is going to feel about it, or are you worried in terms of your own internal sense of whether you're doing the right stuff? I think I think both. I think I think we'd all like to think we can create a, a you know a, I guess an environment of positivity around the situation to help the person, but Part of me wonders if even that effort's futile. Well, I I don't think there's any case where some positivity isn't better. So the person with cancer is going to give you all the negativity you need. The last thing they need is more on top of that. So mm-hmm. you probably do have an obligation to at least keep you know your contribution light because it's the last thing they need. So, yeah, I would say stay positive, and uh, that probably is the best thing you can do. All right. All right, thanks for the question. Appreciate it. All right. Let's see if uh, Brian has a question. Brian, do you have a question? Hello, Brian. Hi. Uh, You're kind of light. Can you speak up? Okay, yeah. Um, sorry about that. Is that better? That's better. Okay. Um, the question I had for you was, um, now, you know, I don't want to sound too biased against Biden, but what I, I really can't comprehend how people keep endorsing him when so clearly something's not right there. Well, you know, I have the same uh, curiosity, but I would give you this thought experiment. When uh, Trump was running the first time, the Democrats were saying, my God, can you Republicans not see what we see? He's obviously crazy. He's obviously mental, you know, mentally challenged. So I think that a lot of the Democrats honestly saw that. In other words, that was their honest, intelligent, adult opinion that Trump was dysfunctional mentally. Now, in fact, they still say that. But do you see it? Because, no. you know, I, we all have our own criticisms, right? He's not above criticism. But I don't see the crazy part. Like, I just don't and see I, it. I, I, I've, heard, I've heard you say this before. And, and you know, I try to I, – I, I felt like before Biden got the nomination and before he keeps – even while he keeps gathering all of these endorsements, I, I felt really confident that I was beyond the two movies and one screen and I could see, <laughs> okay, this is just the world they live in. This is the world I live in. I understand that they think he's crazy. I don't see it. I just, for Biden, I don't see how you don't see it, and maybe that's part of the <laughs> Well, okay, so, so here's the second part. There, there may be some people who don't see it, but I'm, I'm totally with you that you can imagine, it's easier to imagine how people would see two versions of Trump, yes. but it's impossible for me to imagine how anybody would see a second version of Biden if they're paying attention. And all, all the people who are endorsing him are paying attention. So here's my best guess. Number one, there's definitely something going on. You know what I'm talking about, right? right. There's something, there's a conversation happening behind the curtain. There's maneuvering. There, there's a power struggle. Clearly, there are conversations. Yeah, yeah. There, clearly, there's a conversation about what to do about this. And, and indeed, I've, I've talked to at least one uh, top rep- top uh, Democrat who would know the answer to this, 
who says, we don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> I mean, in those exact words, we don't know what we're going to do, meaning they know that they don't have a candidate, but they don't know what they're going to do about it. Now, this was a while ago. Maybe they know now. My best guess is that they're playing for the vice presidency, and they got themselves in this situation before they realized how bad it was. Because I think it snuck up on them. Oh, by the way, I'd like to ask in the comments, um, from the very early on when Biden was you know, being discussed as a candidate, was I the first person in the country to say that he was mentally incompetent? Because, you know, I think this... This might this might be a selective memory on my part because you know I like to remember when I get something right and immediately forget if I get something wrong like everybody, but oh I'm seeing some uh, some people say some people say no, but um, I was saying it before it became part of the national conversation and I think it's worsened quite a bit, so I would say that I was seeing the the first flickers of it well before it got to where it is now. And I had also predicted at the time that there was going to be a rate of decline that was going to be really awkward for the Democrats if he got the nomination. And that's exactly where we are. So, so we're, think we're, it's like a frog boiling in a pot of water type situation. We're just snuck up on them and now they yeah, yeah, because in my opinion, I did not think it was obvious to everyone on day one. Right. So maybe it wasn't. Yeah. So, and and wouldn't you say he's gotten worse in the last six months? It seems significantly worse. Right. It seems significantly worse. So, and I don't know if anybody else had predicted, like I did, that however bad it is now, I don't know if he's going to make it to the nomination. I mean, I said that directly and a long time ago. And, you know, nobody's ever made a more accurate prediction that a candidate might not make it to the nomination. I mean, I said it about Hillary, and she, she literally like passed out, and God knows what else she did, and got dragged into a limousine. And it's the only time I've ever said somebody doesn't look healthy who's running for president. I've only said it once, and yeah, there's video of her like passing out and being dragged into a car. So this is the second time I'm saying it. Clearly on point. I mean, everybody agrees with it now, but... To your point, I believe the people who have endorsed him do see it. I think they just know they got trapped and they don't have an out. There's no, there's no good way to do it. And, and here's the weird part. What if he wins? Because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to rule that out. You know, I, if, yeah, if, I, if, I, uh, if I'm updating the slaughter meter, it looks like there's no chance in the world that Joe Biden could win. But I might be making, I worry that I'm making the following analytical error. I'm thinking of Joe Biden as a candidate, like as a person, one-on-one -on -one against candidate Trump. And if you think of it that way, there's no chance. I mean, there's not even a, a little chance that he could be candidate Trump. But I don't know if that's how Democrats see it. I think they see Trump and no Trump. Yes, no. It's like a yes, no vote. And they'll figure out the, they'll figure out the rest later. I don't know that they care. If, you know, I don't know it, if Joe Biden would still be in the race if there weren't a pandemic. You know, the lack of exposure has really assisted him getting this far. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And um, you, did you see the president's approval is just jacking all over the place? It's like way down, then it's way up. I don't know what's going on with that. But, it, but what we can tell is that the, um, the coronavirus...
uh, we don't know which impact it'll have on the race because the the public's saying, oh, okay, good week, bad bad week. That means they don't know how it's going to turn out. But if I had if I had to guess today how it's going to look on election day, I think it's going to look like the United States did a solid job, you know, minus, let's say, testing wasn't good. There are going to be things that we have to complain about. But I think in terms of turning the economy back on at the right amount of death, et cetera, and getting back up and having that you know, V-shaped recovery that the president talks about optimistically, we might be looking really good by November. Or at least this is all it would take for Trump to win. All it would take is that things have been moving in the right direction over the summer you know, and through November. If it's moving in the right direction, people will put up with it being slower than they wish. But it needs to be moving in the right direction. And I think it will be. Exactly, as I, as I often say. All right, thanks for the question. Thank you, Scott. All right. I think we got time for another one, don't we? Let's find somebody who would just be the best question asker of all time. Well, we're going to have to pick organistry because cleverly put my book in his icon, in his uh, profile. Hi, do you have a question for me? Service. I would suggest that you're doing the greatest community service uh, of anyone at the moment. To me, if in particular, because I I'm on Twitter all day reading about lies and all this nonsense, and then 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 you come then you come on and we hear you and you talk some sense into us, and especially <laughs> especially the way you label the disinfectant hoax. I found that really really helpful. Just disinfectant hoax you said that's so concise <laughs> and so good and right, thank you the energy creature concept the other night the four-dimensional energy creature concept just awesome so thank you for that too thanks do you have a question uh yeah uh well do you have i know what your answer is going to be you're going to say don't argue with those people but okay. during this time of being off we have more time to argue with people on the internet and I've come into arguments against some anti-Semites. And I'm wondering, maybe, do you have a kill shot against general anti-Semitism or anything in particular you can well, think of? Um, I don't know that anybody has a kill shot, because somebody would have used that by now, I think, yeah. if, if, if there was one. If I had one, I would certainly unleash it on the world. But um, my experience is that anti-Semites are coming at it from a point of an inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't say there's one explanation of everybody, and I'm not reading minds or anything. It's just an observation that if you ask why, if somebody says, yes, you know, they're anti-Semitic, if you had a quiet moment with them and you said, why? Like, what's your answer? Eventually, they're going to come around to the fact that they feel threatened. Mm -hmm. and that and that they they think that it's a group of people who just perform better and just do better and therefore anybody you know it's a if you feel that resources in the world are limited mm -hmm. then you get uh, a bad feeling about anybody who's good at acquiring resources in your opinion yeah. so the anti-semites are of the opinion that it's a group of people who are extra good at success and acquiring things and that and it's uh, you know, that means there will be less, 
less for other people, according to that point of view. So um, I don't have a kill shot, but if you were to quietly have a conversation as opposed to in public with somebody, the, the question that I would ask is, what are you afraid of? And, and I, I would try to figure out what it is, because obviously there's some kind of fear at the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's something special with anti-Semitism that doesn't seem to be the same with anti-other people. You know, yeah. Anti-other people have all different reasons. There's something special about anti-Semitism. But I just ask them what they're afraid of, and yeah. see if you see if you can get them to deal with the fact that they're uh, they're they're trying to externalize their own fears and insecurities, and they can do that. It's a free country, but it's not a good look. All right, that's the best I can do. Sorry. Well, I might have been arguing with Iranian Revolutionary Guard bots anyways, so they're not going to be persuaded. (laughs) In in which case, good luck. All right. All right, thanks for the question. Thank you, Scott. All right, we could do one more. There's still a few people here, some people who haven't bailed out yet. Oh, let's see. Mike Burt. We're adding a Bert into your name. Oops, Mike Bert is gone. Let's try somebody else. Let's try Stephanie. Stephanie, hello, Stephanie. Do you have a question? I can. Good. So, um, you know how Germany is suing China for this coronavirus? Yes. And I'm very doubtful if anything will come of that, meaning I don't think China's going to pay up because they're going to be paying the whole world. But isn't right. it true that China holds most of our debt? Well, um, if you're saying, why don't we just not pay them back, uh, the president answered that question at the press conference, and I loved his answer. Which yes, is, and I heard that too. Yeah, so basically, any, if, you, if you go back on a debt, you don't get a second chance. That's kind of the end of your currency, the end of your credit. Um, if we were to default on something that big, yeah, it's just too big, too disruptive. It would hurt us as much as them. Yeah, no, it wouldn't work. It would be a pyrrhic victory, as they say. So Meaning you, you could win, but you'd be so wounded by the win that you wish you hadn't won. Yes. Took it a step further and said, well, we're not really going to default, but we're not paying interest on it and just paid them back the money they borrowed, but not. Well, who's them? Yeah, who's them? It's it's individual. Yeah, I'm thinking Chinese nationals or, I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure. I didn't look into that. Like who owns it? Yeah. If it's, (laughs) if it's just, you know, well-off Chinese citizens, that that feels a little rough because it's. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but we probably, as the president said, we have other levers, other tools. So I think I'd rather use trade and you know, uh, maybe having good allies and you know, maybe we have military agreements with people. They don't like it. There, there's just lots of ways we can put pressure on Yeah, this. I was also uh, happy I agree. when he said maybe we, won't, maybe we won't have any students here in our STEM programs. Because that's that's gotten a little out of control, I think. I mean, I think there's, you know. Yeah, you know, we the, need to... the, it, you, I don't want to conflate what's happening with China with what would happen with any other country. Because we definitely do need 
uh, as much high-end, you know, scientific, technical talent as we can get. You, you know, if we can get it from India, we can get it from England, we can get it from wherever. But China is kind of a special case because even though the the scholars and the people coming over are, you know, incredible. Yeah. Uh, you I have know. To, you I have know. To wonder, I guess, I guess got, what I'm saying is if, if I have two STEM kids in college and it's like they're the only white kids. I mean, it's not like it's 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 not that's so terrible to say, but where are the Americans? Where are the natives? It's a lot of foreigners and they're not here taking our gender studies and our you know, yeah, some, yeah, some some of it is because they pay full full price, and of course the colleges want people who pay full price. But some of it is just uh, math, because you know if the United States has X number of universities, but it has to service not just our population, but the smartest people from the biggest countries that are way bigger than the United States, there there would have to be way more foreign people who would be willing to pay full price than there ever will be, you know, enough in the United States. So it's kind of built into the system. I, I would rather just not let countries that are our rivals be part of that at all and get as much as we can from countries that we don't think are a risk because I, I don't think there's any limit to how many technical and scientific people you can bring into a country because they tend to add more than they, they use. So you, you could probably add unlimited high-end technical people and it just improves the economy forever. All right, and I have to thank you for your cartoon. I think right when I was out of college is when you started that and we would sit around with you know my recent grad co-workers and we would just laugh hysterically and each of your characters, we knew which boss that was, <laughs> was great. <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed Very it. Very enjoyable. So, all right, thanks for the question. Thank you. All right, this brings me to the conclusion of tonight's broadcast. Um, I hope all of you are feeling better. I think the um, I think the direction of the country is finally moving where we want it to go. It was a rough psychological, financial, and physical haul as we were going up the mountain, but it feels like we just crested the mountain and that I would imagine that every day from here on, it's far more likely to be good news than bad. I would expect by a, maybe a two-to-one ratio that from now to election day, if we're talking about the coronavirus and we're talking about the economy, we'll probably have two pieces of good news for every piece of bad news from now until we get to the other end of this. So we're, we're in a much better place, and psychologically, oh my goodness, it's better because we're moving in the right direction. We have tools now. We didn't have tools. We have more understanding. It was kind of an information problem. We have a lot more information, but we're getting there. And I absolutely buy into President Trump's optimism. I absolutely buy into it, meaning that I don't even think he's exaggerating. I think that once the economy you know, gets a foothold, I don't know when that'll start. He's saying fourth quarter. That's a good guess, I think. But, man, when it comes back, it's going to come back hard. All right. That's your happy thought for tonight. And I will talk to you in the morning. You know where. <laughs>